Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working, phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn, to hear what other leaders are doing, to hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Customer Insight Leader Podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of data, analytics, data science, and customer insight. Plus, as a first for this podcast, this episode is being recorded live at Big Data London 2021 in front of an audience full of, as far as I can tell, real people. Let's hear from the audience. Thank you very much. Anyway, back to the podcast. I'm your host, Paul Lachlan, and with me today is Suvik Sahar. Hello. Suvik heads up the data and analytics team of Citibank in the UK. He's also a member of the UK consumer leadership and data leadership teams for Citi. Starting as a data analyst 15 years ago, Suvik's been on an exciting journey. He's lived in five different countries and managed various data verticals over those years. Even before commencing his journey as a data professional, he tells me he was passionate about data and says he considered himself extremely lucky to have the chance to work in the area of his passion. He stepped away for three years from core data verticals and headed up sales performance management, so that kind of commercial side. We'll explore that a bit in the conversation as well. And there he managed to combine analytics and execution to drive a 30% increase in sales productivity. He's now focused on building a team which can use the latest data techniques to drive business value with effective data governance. Welcome, Suvik. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, and thank you for the kind words. <laughs> you're, you're very, very welcome. Okay, I, I've started all of these episodes by asking the guests to tell us their career story, their background, if you like, so that the listeners know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. How have you got to where you are today, Suvik? What's brought you to being this kind of data leader? Sure. And just before I start, like, I'm audible as well, right? Uh, my mic's working. Good. Thank you. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, data, like, I... Let's roll the clock back 15 years when I was appearing, like, for job interviews, finishing my college, and uh, and even in college, my focus was data and quantitative economics. I spent uh, when I was applying for the jobs, many many type of offers came through, but the most interesting thing that came was uh, offer from the Citibank, and this is where I started. And I've been through and through a city banker for the last 15 years uh, to do some uh, analytics work uh, for the North America business sounded exciting and as, as a student you end up working with publicly sourced data and they promise that you will have access to a huge wealth of data <laughs> I'm like okay fine uh, so what I've learned maybe I'll be able to use it so took on the job and uh, since then uh, for the first few years been with uh, working for the North America cards business about 30 million customers 60 million cards so a lot of data to play with and it was fun but 15 years back if you some of you may be working in the data industry, then you may have seen uh, the interesting bit was the data processing was not as it is today. It was very different. Kind of coding on a black box, 
and hoping that the results come out from your code are what you're expecting. Sometimes it was a hit, sometimes it was a miss, but uh, by the time uh, we, I was coming to the third year of my role, uh, I was realizing that, okay, working with data is good, but I'm not seeing the uh, business side, like how is data being used, the, my, my work is being used on the day-to-day -day, uh, business execution, business operations, risk and control, whichever area you can think of. So uh, there comes a time when I really was lucky to get this opportunity uh, to move over to Russia. Yeah. We'll keep the cultural shock aside, but let's talk about <laughs> the experience that I ha gained when I moved to Russia mm. uh, as a program manager to manage the sales, uh, like combining analytics with uh, what sales productivity is there and how we can improve it. And uh, it was interesting nine, to nine months to 12 months that I spent there working with the business, uh, not really sitting in a data function. And I, I really could see the other side of the world, uh, not just a data analyst, but the way uh, our sales guys, our relationship managers, our product heads actually consume data and how they use it on their day-to-day -day execution. And that was very exciting. So I thought, okay, let I want to do that. <laughs> so. Uh, Again, very lucky at the end of my 12 months, my uh, then uh, head of EMEA region for City, uh, I got a meeting with her and she kind of gave me a role in her team uh, based out of Poland. So that was my third country that I shifted to from Russia. And uh, Poland was very exciting, spent a, a year, year and a half, but City keeps moving around and restructuring offices. Mm -hmm. So a year and a half later, I was then placed in Hungary. Um, again, another exciting new country to explore uh, and plus work with data now, like combining again the data and heading a function uh, for the entire 13 markets that city used to have for consumer business. Mm -hmm. uh, the range being starting from UK on the far west mm -hmm. to some Middle Eastern markets mm -hmm. where we used to operate in the consumer space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, look after the 13 markets, the branch network, the sales team and my role was as a sales performance manager. So essentially, uh, look at how we can use their day-to-day -day performance and, uh, and the incentive schemes that we can run. Yeah. And that would actually end up being a very good success for those three years uh, for City. Uh, but unfortunately, at the end of the three years, City decided to exit most of the European markets, which was on the consumer space. We still operate quite heavily in the... Mm private banking and corporate banking, but mm. on consumer banking, city decided to exit. Mm. Mm. And the focus remained on the UK, Poland, Russia, mm. and Middle East. You will have UAE and Bahrain as the four markets where city remained. So I was asked uh, whether I would like to manage those four markets or look for a different role. And it's been like three years with data, three years away from data, like core data processing and working with analytics. So I thought, okay, I have had my experience in the front end, so let's move back. Come home, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> and again, very lucky at that time. Uh, the UK business was a growing business there, the UK consumer space. And I'm not sure if many of the audience would have actually seen the presence that we have in the UK, but what we operate in the consumer space is prim primarily on the high network segment. So uh, our proposition is called City Gold and City Private Client, for which we do, for whom we do uh, wealth management and mm -hmm. offer some core banking and um, mm -hmm. some foreign exchange capabilities for now, and it's expanding and it's growing over the years. So uh, I came here and that was an exciting opportunity. So, and the, when I was making the transition back, I was actually asked to set up the analytics function for the UK business. 
uh, I was the first person in. Uh, there's been and many of the organizations which were trans transitioning into the analytics space, uh, they were processing data for operational use, siloed processing. It's not really streamlined into data being our own vertical, which right. is managed. Right. So when I joined in, uh, the task at hand was first to use data for operational risk management, as well as to help drive the strategy and grow the business. Mm -hmm. So gradually over the years, I've managed to set up, now we have a 20 member team almost, mm -hmm. which is spread here in the UK and offshore in India. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And uh, we together actually been uh, doing some fantastic work for City and the, the growth is visible now. And uh, sure. if you go online or look, look, up, look us up, you will see where, what we do here and how City Bank. And also to add to that, you must have heard the recent announcement about City being focusing on core four markets, which is the UK, UAE, Singapore, and Hong Kong, mm -hmm. and uh, the strategy to win the wealth space, and that's what we are going to do over the upcoming years. So that's been my journey, uh, pretty much, and I, anything that you want to touch upon on, or feel free. Okay, yeah. nice open offer, thank you. I, I, I'm struck by the fact that it feels like talking to all the different leaders I've, I've had on this podcast, they almost fall into two different camps. There's there's those who've actually stayed quite a long tenure with one organization, but maybe managed to reinvent themselves and have a bunch of interesting challenges in that organization. And then there's those who've worked for all sorts of organizations and moved around quite a lot, including geographically. How do you think you benefited from staying at City for so long? Hmm, I, I think let's start the uh, answer in a different way, like the way I think about it. Yeah, the temptation is there. The big whole big world out there, mm -hmm. so let's go out explore what's happening outside but also this is the age of information you pretty much know what's happening where and uh, all the big organizations or even forget the big organizations everybody knows how to process data these days it's open information so mm. it's uh, the the one side is if you are talking about the technology the value add the, uh, the ambition with data that you yes. have yes i think you can fulfill whichever organization you work in mm. the mm. other other aspect is the uh, your uh, synergy with the culture yes of the organization yes. Sometimes uh, you feel very comfortable. And uh, mm. for me, uh, in city, the culture, the way we operate has matched my frequency over right. the years. Right. So the temptation comes and goes pretty fast. So we have, uh, uh, over, over, over the years, and I, I would not say that I haven't moved. Yeah. As I was yeah, mentioning, yeah. I have moved quite a yeah. bit and different countries, different people, yeah. different cultures. So experience quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I came here, it was a different challenge altogether. Mm -hmm. I actually did not have a team to start with. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. as I have built this team, we have, uh, we have actually, sorry, I wanted to say build the team and build this team. Both of them I wanted to say, I missed that. Okay, okay. Yeah. So the whole team has come together pretty well now. And uh, mm -hmm. we operate like a family, like we know mm -hmm. that. And most of our, my team have been here with me through the journey the right. last three, four years. And we are pretty excited on the work that we are doing. So. Okay. So to come back to your question, yes, mm. of course, uh, there are merits and demerits of both. Like if somebody is in an organization where you are doing quality work, but the speed or the culture or the energy of the organization is not in sync with you, then yes. I would always encourage that look out and yes. uh, uh, whether a different role within the organization, different area of the organization or yeah. the wide, whole wide world you can explore these yes. days with data. And data is in the core of every company. So it's like you're never at loss of uh, jobs, I would say. Yes, yes, so, indeed. indeed. But for me, it has worked out well. And uh, I think uh, this is still working well. Good, good. Glad to hear it. 
the other thing I'm struck hearing you, Subic, is uh, I think you can tell a lot by the language that different data leaders use. There are, there are those who will always want to drop into conversation about pipeline this and AWS the other, and it's very technology focused. It's very how pioneering are they managing to be. You strike me much more as the kind of leader who talks about the commercial difference you've made in the organization and, uh, and the end goal of the stuff. And I know when we've spoken before, that right back to your educational background, it was the practical application of things like statistics that, that interested you. D do you recognize that? Do you think practical application and what you can do with it is the motivating factor for you rather than the latest technology? I, I would tend to agree with you on this one, yeah. So just to elaborate for the audience, what yes. you mentioned about my education. So when I went to do my master's degree, Hmm. Uh, that was quite an interview process that they had. I don't know why for a master's degree you need to go through such an elaborate yeah. process. But I was actually, during the interview, I was facing uh, some doctorate uh, professors who were sitting like about 10 of them. And they asked me, uh, how would you, and this is, I'm talking about 16, 17 years back. Right. Uh, how would you uh, decide what is the right number of seats that you'd feel on a plane? that's going from, say, Calcutta to Mumbai. Mm. And, and being a fresh graduate, and I haven't even boarded a flight back then. I've never taken a <laughs> flight. I, I'm like, okay, so, but it was very interesting the way we could combine economics, and it was a discussion with the professors. Mm. Like, mm. The, I did not have to answer it all by myself. They helped me out, and okay. Okay. Uh, the discussion actually was the first motivating factor to see that, okay, we have all this data, but I never thought that, okay, we could use all this data to optimize the pricing of the seats, the number of seats, the business class seats, the economy seats, and it was an amazing discussion. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think it triggered that, okay, now, and then pretty much two years later, I'm interviewing for Siri, I'm being promised 60 million data points. Yes. And I was, I was the, the motivation was all already there that, okay, I want to use data to commercialize and see what is the practical application of it. Yes. And. Yeah. Uh, as, as we moved along the journey, uh, the technology has changed. And that's one thing has also, uh, something that we need to keep in mind, that uh, technology is evolving every day. We are getting new ways of processing, new tools coming in. Uh, but the ultimate underlying truth is that with data, you can do so much. Yes. And uh, so for me, it's the what data we have and what we achieve out of it. Yes. And the in-between in layer of technology is something that you learn along the way right. as you go. And that's how I've been operating. My team operates the same yeah. way. And uh, the flexibility that the team has shown over the years and me myself has moved from uh, the basic black box SQL coding to where we are today. Yeah. Uh, that the, the once you understand what data you have and what it's being used for and what it yeah. can be applied for, and you see the results. Oh, yes. uh, we did something six months later. Oh, we had getting 30% more revenue. Okay, yeah. that's success yes. for me. Yes. And uh, that's what appeals the most. Yes. The underlying technology has changed and yeah. it's, data has become faster. Yeah. You can do a lot more, but uh, still the ultimate results is what we are always aiming yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I want to stay. Good, 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 and it makes sense. And, and you talk about the building up of that analytics team from scratch. Has that mindset worked for you in still getting that analytics team to the technical skills that they need? Because obviously data leaders always have this dual challenge of the technical skills and the, the cultural and the business application. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think uh, given my personal focus towards results, yes, uh, I would say we have delivered more with learning less. 
Right. And that's a challenge that I have taken on myself with the yes. team. I think, I think if we learn more, we could have delivered even more. Yeah. Okay. And that's what we are working towards uh, as an organization, and mm. not just in the UK, but mm. collaborating with our uh, data partners mm. in city globally. Mm -hmm. We are really building something nice right now, uh, which yeah. would be uh, quite different than the way we operate. Okay. Right now, all my analysts are a balance of coders yeah. who either graduated into doing business application of data yeah. through analytics or the other way around. We have gotten analysts who are super good in consultant positions yes, yeah. and have learned and data processing skills and yeah. are combining. But the most important thing is, again, if you do end-to-end, -end, you know uh, how to use the data best. Yes. If you're doing silos of the work, yeah. unless it's an operational process, yeah. I, I feel that uh, you have to be on both sides of it. Okay. You need to balance okay. it. You cannot stay focused on technology and not yes. think about the application yeah. or yeah. think about application only without knowing what is possible with yes. the data. Yes. So that balance is very important to strike. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I agree with the need to ride both horses, yeah. particularly with how fast technology is changing these days. Yeah. Um, I guess something else I want to ask to you about, and I think maybe it would be worth splitting these two things out, is those opportunities you've had to do quite different roles. So. Let's come back to geography. We will, we will go to Russia in this, <laughs> in this conversation. Um, let's think about that, that move out to lead the sales performance management side then, uh, a much more commercial role. And again, something that a lot of people who I've heard who've gone on and really succeeded in their data leadership careers, they've taken that move. At some point, they've stepped away from pure data or analytics or data science roles to go and take a commercial lead role. Pitch it to the audience, Subit. What did you gain? What has made you a better data leader today because you took time on the commercial side? Sure. I think it was an exciting switch. Motivation was there. When I got there on the second day of the job, okay. uh, my man then manager asked me, why don't you go to the branch? Talk mm. to some of our clients. Mm, mm, mm. As data analysts, we look at data and every client is a data point. Yes, yes. But when I was sitting in the branch and I was talking to the client and I was thinking, okay, everything that this client does is basically a data point for me. Yeah. yeah. But the human element was missing when I yes. was working yes. with data. And that's something that you learn as you go into the front end and you see the commercial side of things. What are you using this data for? Why are you capturing this data? Do you really need this data? Do you? Mm -hmm. It's absolutely, because most of the organizations, big organizations sit on a heap of data mm -hmm. and about say 25%, maybe I'm saying too high 25, mm -hmm. maybe lower. Mm -hmm is being used on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I actually went out and spoke with the client, I realized that why we need the 100% data there. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, we'll miss something about the client, mm -hmm. which can be useful at some mm -hmm. point in time. Mm -hmm. So the human aspect, what the client needs, putting the client in the center of the business, not the data, uh, that was very important and interesting for me. And also, as the client did an activity, uh, like let's say I'm talking about a client who walks into the branch to deposit a check. Yes. Very simple. And the, the experience of the client in that leg, walking into the branch door, uh, going to the teller, depositing the check, this journey uh, can be very different in different branches mm -hmm. or even for different banks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For our bank at that point in time, the journey was not very smooth. Mm -hmm. To figure out, to stand in a queue, uh, no QMS, which is the queue management system, mm -hmm. so was challenging. So the simple tweaks, and again, data plays an important role. Mm -hmm. When the client walks in, you lo mm -hmm. lock it there and mm -hmm. then put that client in a queue mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. make it seamless for the client to get mm -hmm. to the front of the queue and do the transaction. Mm -hmm. Once you have that uh, experience of what would keep your clients happy and engaged with you, 
and that's like those little things, not yeah. the very yeah. big picture, but little things. Yeah. That's something that you learn when you are doing a front end role versus uh, always focusing on data science and looking at a macro lens rather than going into the micro uh, uh, setup. So I think it has helped me a lot and I encourage most of our aspiring data analysts, data leaders of the future to really spend some time uh, with the front end, not just mm -hmm. remain uh, in the back office processing yeah. data and uh, th that's pretty much it, yeah. Yeah, no, good, good point, Sue, and I completely agree. I, I remember back in my time in Lloyd's leading the data and analytics and even modeling or data science teams, uh, requiring people to periodically go and spend time out in branches or listening people onto the phone or go through the online buying experience themselves because I think it, it does affect your interpretation or the subjective judgment calls that you make during analytics or modeling work. It, it Bring it back to real world and that human empathy yes. does, does make a difference, so agreed. Okay, let, let's go to Russia then. Okay. Um, not many people, I suspect, in the audience and those listening have, have worked in data analytics in Russia. Um, and, and clearly, you've, you've had this change elsewhere as well. You mentioned Hungary and Poland, a, a number of countries you've worked in. It's been a surprising theme, I've got to say, on this podcast. The whole bunch of data leaders who I admired for their technical work, it's been a consistent theme that they've gone and worked in other countries during their career. So perhaps, perhaps a tip there as well. Somewhere like Russia, which for many of us will feel like a huge cultural difference from where we are in the UK, what did you learn from that? How did you develop as a leader because the experience of working in Russia? Sure. Uh, and uh, just to, I think I'll talk about my origin a little bit. I'm from India. So I spent most of my, uh, until my 20s in India before. And Russia was pretty much my first international assignment. Right. Okay. Yeah, so, so that was home base that, compared yeah, to India. Is compared the point. to yeah. India, it was even, uh, I think when I look at UK, I've spent like about six years here. And uh, the, the cultural difference between India and Russia, I think, was a bit more for me back then. Mm. Coming with a fresh pair of eyes, with Indian mindset, and you land in Moscow. And a funny story, I landed in Moscow on 9th of January. 9th of January, 10th of January is, uh, is a national holiday of the Christmas time there. Yeah. Uh, so 9th of January, everything is closed. There's about, I think, 20 feet. I don't know, maybe it felt higher than it is now, I think, actually true. But about 20 feet of snow, and I'm walking out in a sweatshirt. Uh, I did not expect, I, my, my imagination was that I'm going to land in an airport, buy a, uh, go to the duty free or some shop there, buy a coat and walk out, but there's no shop there. Uh, so the, luckily city had sent a driver to pick me up, a cab, and I, he pushed me into the car pretty much so that I'm not frozen uh, yes, there only and, depart and leaving Russia on the first day of my arrival. So took me to the hotel, spent some time, but that was the first thing that stuck. Okay, this is, this is a different world out here mm. and I have to adapt fast. And uh, then second thing that came into play is when I started going out from the day three, day, day two and day, day one and day two were pretty much acclimatizing with the weather change and warming getting up, my coats, warming up. Yeah, that's, that's the right word, yeah. Uh, going out and then the language challenge came up, which is to, uh, you, you want the, the language, the, the script is the Russian script that they're using. And uh, not, not many people are speaking English and it was a bit challenging for me. But uh, as, as you face these challenges on a day-to-day -day basis, you learn to adapt. Yeah. And uh, within a month's time, I think uh, I, was, I could read the Russian alphabets. I knew where I was going, where the tube was taking me. Mm -hmm. And uh, the tube network was also like pretty much like here. So mm -hmm. getting used to that was a bit challenging. But then in the office, let's, let's get there. And 
even the city staff uh, in in Russia were not like uh, speaking. All of them were speaking English, so mm. it, that was the major challenge. So to to associate with them initially, uh, be very patient in the conversation, and as you can hear from me until now that. I speak a bit faster than normal, right? So, and that was that was I had to adapt there, slow down, uh, really spend some time with uh, the senior management there mm, mm. to understand the culture, mm. and then also socialize with them after mm. work. And mm. again, mm. another funny story there: going out for a drink, uh, oh. first two drinks people are speaking, trying to speak English. <laughs> on the third drink, the language has switched. So basically. On the third, I'm, I have my Google open all the time. I'm typing in whatever words I hear and trying to translate and understand. And that's been a very, very interesting uh, thing uh, for me. Uh, that uh, okay, this is a different world out here, and I came here to do something. Mm. But in order to achieve that, first I have to break that cultural barrier. Yeah. And uh, it took me about a couple of months, I would say. Mm. Uh, mm. Visiting the branch, even meeting clients who did not speak English, it was mm, an mm. excellent experience. Obviously, the relationship mm. managers helped there in translating, and we could have open conversation. Mm. And uh, I think once I had a feeling for the culture, then that's where you are. Actually, you know that okay, you are here, you are in the right place now. Mm. Whereas until now, you are feeling a bit left out. Yes, and yeah. that's the most yeah. important thing. Wherever you go, wherever you go out in the world, uh, there's something different waiting for you, and mm. that adapting, understanding, and really reading that place before you jump or commit into your ways of thinking is yes. the most important thing and that helped i think good. and that was a good learning experience which i could then translate in my other roles in the future and did you find that what you learned there and nice stories uh, actually meant that you could acclimatize as you put it or, or adapt quicker it, when you moved to poland and mm. hungary and, uh, and other countries you worked in absolutely absolutely i think uh, that that once you have broke cracked it once it's like a learning and mm. that's where the whole world is talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence yes. right but the funny thing is that as a human you you are the center of that you yes. are learning the most yes. even faster yes. that your uh, your systems can learn mm. and you don't realize it only as many people say we use 10% of our brain's capacity mm. right mm. but the 90% is helping you Mm. And that's that's what I think that soft skill once it comes into you, mm. and I think mm. you will be able to adapt. So the first wall is high. Mm. Once you mm. climb that, I think then the same high wall doesn't look so high afterwards. Okay. And that's okay. what has been my journey as well. So Poland, Russia, after after Russia, Poland and Hungary has mm. been quite seamless, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So for those who may be listening, um, and maybe they haven't, maybe they won't get get the opportunity in their career to go and work in another country. Are, are there other things that you think you've benefited from from that that they could develop to help them flex their style to maybe work with different or difficult stakeholders? Uh, the, the lessons that could work, you think, even for people who don't get the chance to work abroad? Right. That's a, that's a very good question. The stakeholders. I think I'll pick on that a little bit because stakeholders do change as and the way the expectations do change from you. Mm. Uh, I would like to give a practical example, but I think I'm having a brain freeze, so can't come up with one. <laughs> Don't worry. So if it I'm comes to you later, feel yeah, free. Yeah, I'll share, share later. But uh, what I've felt are, uh, I have, I'll give an example of a colleague with whom I've worked in Russia mm. and then in the UK. Okay. Coincidence. Okay, yeah. And he's a very senior guy. He was a director back then, and yep. he moved here as a director. And uh, while I have grown in my career, after director, there is nothing more. So he has been a director also. Yes, sure. So when I first interacted with him in Russia, the way he approached and he was he was the head of the sales department mm. there meaning 
his responsibilities were to drive the banking business, the cars business, the loans business, and all of it. All of it. So yeah. everything rolled into him. And I was also reporting into him to manage the sales performance management yes, bit yes. and the incentives. So the way he approached, for him, every dollar mattered there. Mm, mm. And uh, the reason why I'm calling it out here is in Russia, uh, where uh, if you think of the way the economy operates there, uh, like simple example of here when you open, join an organization, you can choose any bank where you can get your salary. Yes. In Russia, you can't. Right. They have a tie-up with an organization. You need to get your salary there. Right. And okay. uh, so there are certain boundaries mm. of the of that or of the mm -hmm. place mm -hmm. that uh, you have to learn and operate with. Okay. And he knew it very well. Yes. And that helped me. Uh, and but that also puts a challenge because a senior person who knows everything about the economy, about the operation operating model of the mm. city, mm. Mm. expects that you come into this role. And would have that level of knowledge to operate. Yes, yes. Domain knowledge, if yeah. you like. Yeah. So, but it took me a couple of years, uh, mm -hmm. sorry, a couple of months again mm -hmm. to get to that point. Mm -hmm. No, as much as I needed for the mm -hmm. role. Mm -hmm. I finished my year there mm -hmm. and then moved out. And a few years later, the same person comes, moves within city and right. comes as the sales head for UK. Mm -hmm. And now I have been here for a few years and he's, mm -hmm. the tides have turned a little bit. Okay. Uh, and he is now adapting to the uh, country how uh, things are expected oh, here. I see. Yes. So, and I think that's that kind of gave me a like a, a great understanding of stakeholders. The same person, mm. how uh, this person is perceiving the organization and the operating model mm. of his team there, versus how he's adapting and mm. changing so quickly to come mm. on board here and. Another, drive another different set of uh, individuals here yes. for in a different market altogether, and uh, I think that's that's a great thing to learn from. Yeah. And uh, while this, uh, I, I personally, as I said, I can't brain freeze can't come up with a good example. <laughs> tell boy, tell boy. But with you that individual, plenty. I think that's something that we can always look up to as an example. That yes. okay, it's not just about the stakeholder, but where the stakeholder is, yeah, and yeah, what they're that. expecting from you, mm. and how quickly you can come to terms with their expectations, mm. or if you feel otherwise, how do you convince and manage them yeah. to come to a common term, I would say, and yes. that's very important. Nice point, Sue, but yeah, I, I hear some things that actually come up in my stakeholder management training, so clearly they must be right. Um, but the, the whole side of, of discovering the context and the challenges for that stakeholder, you know, what, what, what's going on in their world that you might be able to help with or you need to be sensitive to its context. But also, I think, as you say, rightly putting in that spade work to understand the domain knowledge, to know the language and the, the business challenges, to know your numbers, as a lot of people will, will say in these roles, can be neglected by technical data people sometimes, but can definitely help you be more convincing when talking with those stakeholders. Absolutely. I want to move on to, we, we've obviously covered some of that international aspect and going and work in Russia. Let's go to a potentially sensitive kind of topic. Uh, I know we've had different experience with offshoring analytics. Mm -hmm. So I'm on record, as you'll know, of having written, I've even got a piece on the Customer Insight Leader blog, advising people not to do offshoring of analytics because here was my experience, here's where it didn't work out, this is why I couldn't get it to work. Mm -hmm. And I, I recommend you don't. Yeah. You've made it work. So yeah. let's, let's hear the case from Suvik first. Why is offshoring of analytics and having a team over in India or in other, other geographies while yeah. you're here in the UK. Why does that work for you when others have failed? Sure. I think uh, this is actually a controversial topic, but I don't think there is one right answer for this. Mm. Both models can work. It's mm. ultimately individuals, data specialists, 
analysts who are working on the job. It, you can think of a model where everybody's very tightly sitting in one space, chatting over the desks, yes. making things work. You can imagine a world where nobody's sitting next to each other and mm. like what we saw in the last 18 months and we were yes, all indeed. working from home. Everybody was like offshore for me. Okay. Uh, but in both of these environments, ultimately, it's if you have that common goal in mind, mm. and that's mm. for me the most important thing, that mm. whether you are based in India, whether you're based in UK, whether you're based in Moon, I don't care. Mm. Uh, the objective <laughs> here is you are, do you have the common goal? What are you working towards? And uh, if you know the goal, then you can collectively work towards that. Sometimes what I've seen, and uh, like you mentioned, I have seen other data functions uh, where the offshore onshore model has not really worked. Yeah. Even in my past experience, uh, I, have, I have been on the offshore side of things yes. and did not, could not really make it work that well, like mm -hmm. it's working for us mm -hmm. right now. But, uh, and that may have helped me a little bit because I have been on both sides. Yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah, I've seen what could have happened there, which the onshore team maybe failed to facilitate from time to time. Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. everybody has priorities, right? Mm -hmm. When you are onshore and you are not just talking about the PO data uh, yeah. exploration part or, uh, or the analysis part, but you are yeah. actually thinking of uh, so many other aspects of the risks to the business, the yeah. data governance aspect, which uh, offshore team generally would not get involved in. Yes. So I, I, I believe that when I was there on the other side, and now what we t try to do a lot, lot more is uh, not like funnel the work from here and there. Mm. So basically, and when I say here, it's like some somebody in my team, some manager in my team takes on the work yeah. and pass it on to the offshore team to work yes. on it. Yes. Yes. The the fundamental which worked for me is you have a manager here and a manager there, and right. the manager there is equally responsible as the manager here. Why? Right. And, and responsible when I mean not just delivering the business results, but mm -hmm. also in keeping the culture intact. Right. right. So, uh, like for a simple example is, most of the time we hear that the offshore team is setting up those team calls. Mm -hmm. And the, sorry, the onshore team is setting up the team calls and the offshore team is joining. Mm. In our instance, we flipped it around as well from time to time. It's the offshore team's responsibility from time to time to bring us all together as a group. Right. and uh, drive the session and and when I'm talking about us as a group is not just the data team here but uh, the wider business right. with whom they very closely interact right okay yeah, they Good. get a visibility of the PNL they yes. know that okay they did this piece of work and this is what on the PNL which top line it's driving yes or which yes. bottom line we are saving on yes so uh, all of this put together and I think also the type of people you get into the team who's mm who's actually a very simple example, somebody who spends a lot of time on the phone or on WhatsApp or on Zoom, yeah. is a good candidate for an offshore mm. team. Mm. So we have mm. also thought about those aspects, like mm. people who mm. are easy, willing to adapt to that model, mm. Mm. even if they don't get to come and work physically here. Yes. Yes. That does not mean that you are not a part of the business and you are not yes. owning the business goals. Yes. So I think yes. that has helped for us. It's quite successful, I think the guys, about, my team's about like say 60, 40, 60 in India and 40 here. Right. And okay. uh, over the days, uh, there are obviously with cost efficiencies that you can drive, which mm -hmm. means that mm -hmm. uh, you can have more people down there, more work getting done yeah. compared to if yeah. you are doing it here. So yeah. for, for me, I think with the added manpower and the people uh, mm -hmm. who are uh, owning the business as mm -hmm. much from there as we do it from here, it has been a successful journey okay. for us.
Well, thank you. There's lots of parts you bring out to that that, that reassure me, actually. So I, I, I'm glad to hear that focus on understanding the domain knowledge and the context. I think one, one thing I really struggled with with an offshore team was getting them to grow in their knowledge of what was going on in the business and feel a commitment toward that rather than it stay as a, a theoretical kind of production line kind of exercise at a distance. Um, and I'm glad to hear that cultural side jointly owned. I wonder whether you think, is it a different challenge and maybe one reason why it's been successful for you, where it's offshore working for the same company, i.e. it's not what my experience was, which was offshoring and outsourcing. So it was offshoring and you were having a large global organization providing an outsourced offshore operation. Do you think it helps that you are all part of one company and that's easier to make it culturally consistent? Correct, but we are not actually. We have oh. offshore and outsourcing as well. You do as well? Yes. Right, okay. Yes. And the outsourcing bit is a bit more challenging. There's one level up that you need to mm. up your game in order mm. to get them mm. equally engaged. Uh, but I think uh, for us, we have been very lucky in this particular role. But if I generalize the concept, I have yes. seen other, uh, other teams where the offshore uh, outsourced operations would generally be an operational unit. Yeah. Not the exploratory work that a data analytics team would do. Yes. But okay, you need a customer data transaction, should get a reward, so yes. processes the data, calculates the reward, gets the reward posted. Yes. If you don't have an automated system. I'm just putting, yes. giving a very uh, hypothetical example here. Okay. But that operational work, mm. the outsourcing team does well. Yeah. Now, if you have an engaged engagement where you are depending on the outsource team to do analytics for you, uh, to help you develop the strategy, mm. I think uh, there is that another step of getting these individuals on your team, although they are paid by the third-party company, but you would actually want them to be part of your team. Yes. And you have to be very careful in deciding because you are sharing con confidential information mm -hmm. with them mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. about your strategy. So there are certain legal terms that you need to take care of. But if you, let's assume that we have gone past those barriers. Okay. Then uh, again, Going back to my very first point, ultimately these are human, these are data yes. specialists you're working yes. with. Yes. And if you can make them think uh, in your lines what are your goals are, you can bring them, make them as much as part right. of your team okay. as your own offshore team is or yes. your local team is, yes. as a matter yes. of fact. So giving them that exposure to your leadership team here, yes. Yes. Uh, your aspirations for where you need to be in the next five years. Yes. And we have seen that some of some of our outsourced uh, teams mm. or analysts have actually remained with us. They're aligned and they do come here from time to time to yep. not in the COVID times, but prior to yes, that, they have yes, come here from yeah. time to time, spend time with us and it goes back, takes that culture back as well as the knowledge of the business back and helps set up teams there in India. Good. So Good. I think it's it's been a successful model for great, us. Great, great. Glad to hear it and thank you for sharing. Th th those aspects absolutely make sense to me and I'm glad to hear that degree to which they're not back room, but there is that exposure to the business and the leadership team as well. Yeah. Okay, uh, one question that I've asked just about every guest, I think, on this podcast, because I'm always keen to hear how leaders are developing um, and committed to their own personal development, as well as um, the people who are working for them, you know, not, not the finished product and still needing to, to learn and grow themselves. So what about you as a leader now? You've clearly got commercial responsibilities, you've got data and technical responsibilities, you've got a team that you've, you've grown, you're kind of sitting at an amalgam of everything that's built up to here. 
How are you investing in your own personal development? How are you developing as a leader today? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. And uh, every day is a challenge here. Mm. You would want to, because again, let's talk about the technical aspects, the technology that's supporting data now. Mm. Mm. It's changing so fast. So first thing first is you have to stay up to date with that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, if, if you are not staying up to date with that, it's not like that you... You can't still do the job, but maybe you will not, not do the job at the best mm. optimal mm. level mm. and the highest efficiency that you can. Okay. And that's one learning curve, I think, in the modern world, every data leader needs to be on. Okay. You cannot just ignore that and continue to uh, run the business and lead your team. Yeah. Okay. But given that aspect, mm. uh, and ke let's keep that aside, but there are two other, few other things which for me personally has been a challenge in the past. Like public speaking, for example, this is a challenge that I have taken on myself to come here on this stage, and uh, You're doing excellently on the podcast. Uh, okay, Subi. thank you so much. <laughs> but uh, the the thing is, over time, like public speaking, as a data specialist, you don't generally tend to go out and speak mm. so much, mm. right? Mm. You are talking about your work when you have your work and your presentation with you, or your Excel with you, or your whatever you are working on, your Tableau dashboard with you. It's great when you are speaking to a wide audience. On a general term, I don't think data leaders have really come up that curve so much. Mm -hmm. And that's a learning that everybody needs to go into. Okay. And eventually, ultimately, you are out, out in the world. You need to understand your people, mm -hmm. understand the rest of the world, what your customers are thinking. And to do that, uh, that skill needs to be developed. And that's what I'm focusing a lot on. Yes. Okay. The other aspect of it is uh, something I, I call the... Uh, you have the data quality, right? If you have data, good. But if, if the data is not at the level at which you need, then that's a challenge. And over the years, most organizations have built the data governance functions, mm -hmm. working on that. But I don't think anybody has really cracked it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, as an organization, we are really robust with our data quality, our systems talk to each other. So uh, a lot of time, I think, needs to be spent as a leader to understand what can go wrong. So the operational risk management of leading a data function. Mm -hmm. And this is another area of focus for me. The analytics for most of us would come quite naturally. So if you segregate your brain into the four sections, this yes. is like the section of yes. strength. Yes. But then the other sections, which is your public speaking, yeah. uh, your technology, uh, staying up to date with technology yeah. and the operational risk that can come. I think these are the three areas which uh, nice. Collectively, we need to continuously focus and build on. And I think that has uh, been my journey over the last couple of years where I focused a lot. Uh, and uh, now we are at a point, I think, where I have taken two out of the three. I'm still working on the third. I'll keep the audience guessing what is the third one. <laughs> but okay. uh, but uh, the, the point is, yeah, these are the three areas which I would think as a data leader, I would like yeah. to master before I can say that, okay, I have achieved the level that I wanted to five years back. Fabulous. Thank you very much, Subic. Thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Same here. Thank you so much for hosting. Thank you, Subic. And thank you all for listening. Also, uh, listeners, uh, I hope you found that helpful and continue to listen to the Customer Insight Leader podcast, both those of you who are here with us as an audience. Say hello again, audience. Hey. Yeah, listeners, a few of them had left in between, but they're an enthusiastic few, the one who, who left. Um, and, and by all means, also check out customerinsightleader.com, the blog. There's regular content on there as well. 
Until then, it only leaves, remains for me to say, have a great week, and maybe in your own work, continue to consider how could you build those adaptation skills to different cultures, maybe even model of offshoring your analytics. Goodbye, everybody.